With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Mitz. I am joined tonight, um, as usual, by, by Steve Fetch, and we also have Kyle Davis back with us today. How, how are you doing tonight, guys? Hey, good. How are you doing? Yeah, great. Well, I'm doing pretty good. I just got done watching the uh, the Oklahoma State-Texas Tech game, and uh, seeing Texas Tech lose on the road was a, a wonderful sight to see, and obviously we'll kind of talk more about that later, but uh, um, the very the very first question that I have for you guys. And actually, this is for you, Fetch, because of your um, self, self-admitted uh, actions on Twitter. Um, how much did it cost for us to secure that win against West Virginia? <laughs> well, you know, uh, unfortunately, I probably, I probably shouldn't say. You know, I, I want to claim as oh, much as I can on my taxes to get, like, the max refund that I can. And, I, you know, I don't need more people coming after me and stuff. So, you know, we're going we're gonna to keep that hush-hush, but... Needless to say, they they have come through uh, for us big time. You know, we've only lost what four home games this year. I mean, clearly, uh, clearly, I need to up the payment for next year. Yeah, well, I was gonna say you may not want to say because you don't want them like hiking the price up next year as well. So, all right, all right, all right. So, all all jokes aside, obviously the big news of the week. Um, you know, Kansas held off another furious rally against West West Virginia uh, to beat them again. Uh, they were down, I believe it was 14 at one point, maybe it was only 12, um, but they were down by quite a bit and, and came back and, and obviously Huggins kind of blew up after the game talking about the foul discrepancy. I don't, I don't want to sit here and rehash that argument because we've kind of talked about it a bunch already. Um, but I mean, just kind of, kind of, what were your guys overall thoughts from that West Virginia game? Uh, is, is there anything to kind of take out of that game that hasn't already been argued ad nauseum all over the internet? Well, if you want to just hop right into the to the foul stuff, I mean, I think there's uh, a couple 
big points that people are kind of probably willfully overlooking. I mean, one is um, obviously the fact that West Virginia took tons more shots outside the paint uh, than Kansas did. You know, they were taking a lot of really kind of tough jumpers and, and fallaways and stuff like that. And you're obviously not going to get uh, follow calls on those. Uh, there were also quite a few plays where, uh, I mean, Jay Bill has spent like two minutes in the first half talking about all the fouls that West Virginia was committing and getting away with. So, you know, I, I guess right. you could argue that, you know, maybe they missed a couple on Kansas or whatever, and, and you know, maybe they did, but um, I don't know that you could argue that the, the discrepancy was the, the issue given all the ones that West Virginia got away with too. Uh, and then the third one specifically, I mean, there's been uh, some talk about, Kansas not really uh, following much this year in general. And, you know, duh. I mean, they have, what, like four guys that they can depend on every game, and then, you know, whatever you get from a couple of those other guys is a bonus. But but when you're really playing six, you know, maybe seven, but usually six guys, I mean, obviously you can't commit fouls because then you're going to be in, in deep trouble. So I'm, I'm sure Self has told them, hey, you need to not – commit fouls and stay on the court, and I'm sure that they know that they can't commit fouls and, and they need to stay on the court. And that's why every so often, I mean, you saw it for big stretches in that Oklahoma game, uh, you know, it's like a parade to the rim because no one can commit any fouls for fear of getting sat on the bench. So those are kind of the, the big ones I think that people, you know, like I said, kind of kind of willfully overlook when they talk about just raw foul discrepancy. But, uh, you know, like I said on Twitter, I, I kind of don't, you know, I, it used to bother me when I was young and naive, but now I don't care. I mean, people are going to search for whatever reason for why they lost that they can, and and I'm, you know, just let them do it. I think I think leaning into the skit is a lot funnier anyway. Yeah, exactly. Kyle, any thoughts you wanted to share with us, real quick? Yeah, I mean, I think Fetch has the has the ref market covered, and those are all great points, especially about Kay's bench and bench and the fact that they just you know can't afford to foul, so they actively don't, but. What really stuck out to me, a couple things. Uh, one, for West Virginia, I mean, that – I don't know what you call that. They're, they're just kind of stall offense, prevent offense the last 10 minutes of the game. I mean, this team, I don't know how you can feel confident about them in March at all the way they keep blowing leads. And the way that they just sat for 24 seconds of the shot clock and then chucked up a three or tried to make a last-minute play, that just kind of – it baffled me, really, especially once KU cut that into single digits. You thought that they're – would be a little more aggression or urgency on their part, but yet that was just, you know, Huggins was, was content for whatever reason to let the clock run out and they were taking rush shots that they were making early in the game, but you had a feeling the way that West Virginia shoots the ball, that that was not going to continue. Uh, and it definitely did not. And so I thought, you know, I mean, if West Virginia is looking for excuses, I feel like the, the execution of the offense, especially the last 12 minutes is probably a good place to start. Uh, and then also, uh, Two other quick things. One, I, I fully respect that Bob Huggins, when he knows he's going to get a technical or get tossed, he just gets his money's worth. And I just full on respect how, how he's going to make sure and he lets everyone know his opinions before uh, dutifully getting tossed. And the last one, it kind of leads us into the Oklahoma game, but this was the first of two games now, most recent games where Kansas has out-rebounded its opponents. And so, you know, given that that was probably one of the chief concerns, especially for this defense all year long, you can definitely see some improvement in both, uh, not necessarily Kansas getting more rebounds than it used to, but it's doing a much better job of keeping opponents off the class. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm looking at the stats, and West Virginia still rebounded 37%. They had 13 offensive rebounds, um, so 37% of their misses, uh, which honestly I think is still too many, but it's definitely better than what it had been previously. And, um, I mean, you know, for a, for a team like West Virginia that really needs those, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a lot in a vacuum, but I think uh, a team like them, even though that's kind of right around their season average, um, it still is, you know, considering KU's personnel, um, I think a pretty good job by them just to, to kind of hold them to their season average. I mean, I think coming into the game, we all probably thought they would need to go uh, above and beyond to really get enough extra possessions to win. Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, holding into their season average is actually a pretty good result because, to be honest, West Virginia is that kind of team that plays either really far up or really far down. And a lot of that has to do with their, their defensive style. If they're getting the calls, or I should say, if, if they're getting the no calls and they end up playing really well because they're able to get that pressure, it throws the other team off completely. Um, if they're not getting the calls, then they tend to have a really poor offensive night as well because – the other team is scoring a bunch, and then they have to start pressing a lot and, and making a bunch of mistakes. So the the one point that I made earlier earlier in the week was West Virginia seems to have one game a year where they literally cannot uh, get a single foul called on them, and so they blow a team out just absolutely out of the water. And then they have another game of the year every year where they get called for everything, and they just get completely destroyed or they give up a huge lead or do something you know that seems really, really bad because the refs are finally calling everything on them. They always have one in each direction. And every year, you know, West Virginia fans overreact to when they just completely demolish a team saying, man, look at how good we are. There's no, you know, there's no way that we can, that, that we're going to fall apart. And then they completely overreact to the other one where everyone's out to get them and the refs are absolutely horrible because they finally called everything. When in reality, their, their, their press offense, or I'm sorry, their press defense ends up working fairly well because it sets that physical style of play um, that allows them to get away with a lot of fouls. The other thing I kind of noticed too is that West Virginia, you know, isn't very good about getting the line themselves. And I think a lot of that has to do with their defense. You know, if, if they're, if they are able to get the refs to overlook so many of their fouls so often, it's going to be a lot easier for the refs to overlook fouls on the other end too, because, you know, we didn't call that, that contact over there for you guys. So we're not going to call it for the other team because we want to at least try to be somewhat consistent. So West Virginia in a lot of cases will set the tone of their game as one where a lot of fouls are not necessarily going to be called because, you know, they are so physical. So I think it kind of works against them as well, trying to get to the line. It's interesting too, that uh, if you look at the game in Morgantown earlier this year, uh, Kansas actually ended up shooting more free throws than that one too. And yeah, you just look back. I mean, I'm, I'm scrolling through, uh, I mean, West Virginia, just, right. they, they just don't get to the line that much. Like you, like you said, and, and it's one of those things where, you know, if Bob Huggins goes on his rant, like it very well could be that, you know, his team got hosed out of some calls, if you want to call it that, but it's, you know, coming from the source when your defense is, basically just known to foul so much that they can't call everything. It's like, it's like the CEO of Coke bashing Pepsi. It's like, yeah, maybe Pepsi's not that great, but you're not probably the most reliable source for that to come from. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, you know, and you had said that the Kansas outshot them in that earlier game, but I'm trying to pull it up now. Weren't we, didn't we end up getting a lead and, and they were intentionally fouling us to kind of, 
make it so that we shot more? I didn't think we we shot more than them by that much. It was 16 to 12. So it was, it was closer. But when you think of, I guess the bigger point was even on the road in Morgantown where West Virginia is notorious for getting away with more of those calls and the refs are obviously going to, you know, they're human. They're going to, they're not going to want that crowd against them the entire night. That um, it is still interesting that you probably remove maybe four of those uh, free throws at the very end for kind of stalling and extending the game. Then it's it's pretty even. Yeah, I'll go. I'll go try to pull it up while while we're kind of talking about a few other things. But I was pretty sure that they ended up shooting like um, at least three or four times, uh, like trips to the line. So like you know six or seven free throws at the end of the game as West Virginia was fouling to try to keep it close. So, but regardless, I mean, so, so any other, any other kind of takeaways from, from the West Virginia game? I, I don't want it to all just be about the foul situation that everybody's kind of talked about. Um, you know, was there, was there any particular player that you guys thought had a, had a really nice breakout game? Any, any trends with the team you think are going to carry forward pretty well or. Well, we can, we can, uh, you know, I'm sure we'll talk about this more in the, uh, the Oklahoma game too, as well. But, uh, Devontae Graham just continues to kind of show up against these other, uh, top point guards in the league. And, and I mentioned again on Twitter, you know, that, uh, of all the, the Jayhawks that I can remember, I mean, it's, you know, people pointed out, uh, Sean Collins and Frank Mason, and they probably, uh, deserve mention in this group too, but, among guys who really kind of respond to a mano a mano challenge, I mean, Devontae Graham is is right up there with kind of anyone I've ever watched. I mean, uh, not a not a great game in terms of from the field. I mean, I guess he got fouled a lot, but you know, not a, not a big inside scorer this year, Devontae Graham. I think he's still shooting under forty percent on twos, but uh, you know, two of five from deep and, and did get those ten free throws and seven assists and two turnovers, but. More importantly than that, I was just so impressed with what he did on Javon Carter. You know, I think Javon Carter is maybe a little bit overrated as an offensive player, but uh, still one of the top, you know, four point guards in the league, um, And even when you just include his offense. And Devontae Graham did a, a really good job against him and, and pretty much shut him down and, and obviously did the same thing against uh, Trey Young. But uh, the other one I'm going to steal is, uh, you know, Azubuki maybe maybe his best game uh, as a Jayhawk, uh, seven of eight from two, seven of ten from the free throw line, which is uh, something that I don't know that even the most optimistic Azubuki fans thought would happen. Uh, and then the the three blocks and the two steals, he's just so active inside. His, his hands are getting a lot better at, at getting into those passing lanes, and he's good at getting uh, early defensive possession uh, position. So he's you know. Still committing fouls, but he's he's kind of committing dumb fouls in a different way than, than he used to be. So, uh, you know, just a just a really impressive uh, game from him, and, and obviously an impressive game against Oklahoma too as well. But uh, kind of sure, I'll I'll, uh, I'll let you guys talk about those two for the Oklahoma game since I stole them here for the West Virginia <laughs> one. Yeah, I mean, I think the one thing that kind of jumped out to me looking at the box score um, over on Ken Palm is that every single KU player, except for Mitch Lightfoot, who didn't score, so he didn't get, you know, an offensive rating. But every single one of them has an offensive rating over 100, which which is absolutely kind of in, insane to think about that everybody was that efficient. Um, you know, I, I mean, Azubuke is noted as the MVP, and, I mean, for good reason, you know, getting 21 points. Um, that, that, that free throw shooting was, yeah, amazing from him. Um, you know, there's a bunch of other guys that, you know, Graham had a bunch of rebounds, uh, more than I kind of thought he would. 
Um, you know, Svi, Svi had a really nice all-around game. I was not really – I didn't really notice any huge defensive lapses on his part that we usually see. Um, maybe maybe you guys can think of a few that I that I was forgetting. But, um, you know, yeah, I, I really think in terms of who the big surprises were um, or, or the big storylines going forward, it was Devontae Graham getting back on track and, and really asserting himself there. Um from an offensive standpoint, and then obviously Azubuke just going crazy. Kyle, yeah, and I will say, yeah. I will say, you know, credit too for to Marcus Garrett for quietly, you know, eight points. Uh, he did show some aggressive uh, aggression, aggression there. Uh, you know, eight points, three rebounds. Uh, he got a steal. He, you know, he played good defense, which is what you come to expect from him. And you know, if you look through the main wing players in that game, you know, but Gerald scored 13 points, but, you know, he shot four of 12, uh, you know, Malik had 11 points and he shot three of 10, Svee nine points, but he, he was three of six. So that was not bad. He just wasn't shooting very often. And so to have that just, you know, it doesn't seem like much, but I think, uh, you know, Marcus Garrett, when he can add six to eight points on offense on pretty efficient shooting along with a couple of those boards and then playing the defense that he's, known for and he's out there for, I think that's uh, that's one of those kind of under the radar, it's not going to show up in the stats, but a real big benefit when, uh, when KU's rolling. Yeah, yeah, definitely. The other thing that kind of jumped out to me, and it, it has to do with Azubuke, actually, was the fact that he played 31 minutes. Uh, the fact, you know, he, I, I, I believe he picked up his, yeah, he picked up his third foul, like 30 seconds into the second half. And yet was still able to play most of that second half without picking up another foul. I thought that was a huge difference in that game that he was able to play so much. Um, the Oklahoma game, he didn't play as much. Again, he got kind of kind of got into foul trouble, but we were rolling that game so much that it didn't really matter that he sat down for a while. Um, but, you know, in, in a game like this where he was able to stay on the floor and have such a positive contribution and ended with only three fouls, um, you know, I thought that was a huge, a huge development in the second half there. All right. Any other final thoughts about that West Virginia game, guys? No, I think we can uh, we can head on to uh, Oklahoma. Yeah, let's 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 do it then. All right. So Oklahoma game, obviously, it was a it was a complete blowout in that game. Um, Kansas won one hundred four to seventy four. Although I still maintain it really should have only been one hundred two, but I'm not going to complain too much. That last basket by Vic, uh, he went in and and got the the little layup and. I swear that the refs, you know, waved that off multiple times and they just never took the points away. But uh, I'm not going to, you know, start an investigation for them to strip a couple points from Vic. It's not really that important. But, um, you know, I don't know that there's really, uh, well, a a really good starting point. You know, the the big hype of the game, obviously, was that Trey Young is going to Allen Fieldhouse for probably his only time. Uh, I would be really surprised if he ever made another trip to Allen Fieldhouse as a player. Um, But, you know, it didn't. I don't think it really lived up to the hype at all. Trey Young had a decent game, but he didn't have the kind of game that we were expecting from him. Um, were you guys surprised by the outcome of the game at all, or is it really just Oklahoma is falling apart at this point? Uh, I was somewhat surprised, um, although when I saw that uh, Lon Kruger made a couple of changes to the uh, starting lineup, I was a little bit less worried just because he, you know, he didn't have Brady Manick starting and I thought he was going to be in line for a huge game just because of how good of a shooter he is and, and how, uh, let's say, disinterested 
Kansas is in getting out to those shooters sometimes. Um, but without him in there, they didn't really have that extra uh, – I mean, they have good shooters, obviously, but they didn't have that extra, you know, really good shooter to kind of take the pressure off Trey Young. And then, like I mentioned, it was just more of uh, Devontae Graham winning an in, in individual matchup and, in, you know, really the most important individual matchup on the floor – uh, at point guard, and he's just, it's such a luxury when you, you know, this is the really probably the third year in a row um, that, well, probably the fourth, even going back to Mason's sophomore year, where you know you're you're not going to get blown away at that spot. Uh, you know, they're, they're definitely are, are better point guards than, well, not Frank Mason last year, but the other two years and, and Devontae Graham this year, they're certainly better point guards, but there's not a point guard in the country that's so much better to where Kansas is is definitely a negative, and that's such a huge advantage when you can can come out there and do that. And uh, just another game of uh, you know Kansas playing really good defense, uh, not just on Trey Young, but I think they played pretty good defense, especially early in the game there, and showed that when they're buckled down and, and when they have the energy to do so, they can definitely shut down some good offensive teams. And one thing I was I was kind of thinking about. And I didn't really get a chance to take a look at it further, so this this may not be completely accurate. But but unlike the stuff that I write, uh, stuff here is just mostly uh, you know pulled out of you know where, and and you guys can debunk it if you can remember anything. But <laughs> it seems it seems like in games where they're playing the team with one super good player, and and you know kind of regardless of what the other talent is, I'm thinking you know with Trey Young or or with Buddy Heald, obviously he had that good uh, triple overtime game. Um, but, you know, Caleb Swanigan last year in the NCAA tournament, I mean, even going back to, like, uh, uh, Harrison Barnes in the 2012 Elite Eight, it just seems like Kansas does such a good job at taking teams out of what they want to do and, and going to that number one option and really forces those other guys to beat them. And I think that's kind of partly why we have all the, the history of, like, Jordan Eggleseeder for uh, Northern Iowa making the two threes, uh, you know, to help beat us or, uh, uh, what's-his-face, Evan Wessel from Wichita State, you know, making the two threes to beat us. I mean, Fred Van Vliet didn't do anything in that game. It was, you know, Evan Wessel making more threes than you probably has ever made in his life before. So just another game of, of Kansas doing a really good job uh, on a number one option and, and then Oklahoma not really having anything uh, secondary to to come at uh, and, and to, you know, make up that difference. Yeah, if if you think back to the last, you know, game like this where we had a super hyped uh, player on the offense for Oklahoma. It was when, when Buddy Heald came, came down in Fieldhouse. And, um, you know, similar sort of thing where we were able – he was able to get, get to get his, but really it was because he was he was so good at, at making the other guys part of the game. And when they finally started doing something, you know, he we had to kind of lay off of him. And so he was able to get a ton of points. But – well, when they went down to Norman that year, you know, the guy that locked down Buddy Heald and helped us win that game was Devontae Graham. He's shown the ability to be that lockdown defender on, you know, the star guard for the opponent. And he he had another phenomenal night against against Trey Young. Trey Young only scored 11 points in that game. Um, let's see, on, on how many shots? It looks like off of 13 shots. Um, you know, and, and four of those points came from the free throw line. So... You know, uh, I mean, I, I I think he probably had a total of about, let's see, of of about 15 shots or so. It looked like, including a couple that were that were fouled. Um, so yeah, he wasn't he wasn't extremely efficient. Uh, you know, he was well, he was two of eight from two, and then one of five from three. So he was he was 
downright awful actually in terms of efficiency. Um, and you know, he was, so he wasn't able to be that kind of big, uh, presence that you have on offense that, that he, they had come to expect when they were doing so well. Um, so yeah, yeah, I think, I think that's a kind of a, a big thing that Kansas has been able to do. And, and you're right. Thinking back to a lot of the big matchups they've had, Kansas has always been really good about having that one lockdown defender that can take their best player out. And it's only the only time we've had real big upsets or, you know, had real bad results is when everybody around them can go ahead and get hot. So, all right, Kyle, any other, any other thoughts about that before we jump to the next, uh, the next point here? No, I mean, I think that's a good point. I think, you know, Devontae, I think what you, what you mentioned, you know, there's, there's other point guards. Obviously this is a pretty strong point guard season just across the league and then our own conference with, you know, Keenan Evans and obviously Trey Young, but then you got guys like Jalen Brunson. But I mean, Devontae's numbers, you know, just on, on paper stack up about as well as any point guard in the country. Um, and so I think, uh, I mean, this, it is probably, he probably doesn't get enough credit coming, whether it's, you know, playing the year behind Frank when Frank was the national player of the year or whatever it is, but just to have this kind of dominance and consistency in the point guard uh, position this many years in a row is, is really just impressive. And I think Devontae's, you know, Devontae's got averaging 17.5 points, seven assists, four rebounds. If you look at someone like Jalen Brunson, who now people are saying is, is potentially the player of the year if Trey Young keeps, keeps kind of struggling the way he is, you know, Jalen Brunson's at 19 points, five assists, and three rebounds. So, uh, Devontae is, you know, very almost quietly working his way into the All-America conversation, and I don't, I don't think it needs to be sold how important he is as a leader of this team and, and the guy who, I mean, they literally can't take him off the floor. And maybe that was the biggest takeaway from Oklahoma in the first half is that Devontae Graham got a bit or got a break, and we got to watch him on the bench for a couple minutes, and that was, I think, a, a welcome sight to, to everyone. And and in the first half too, like I think that was what surprised me the most was that Trey Young came out and so Devontae Graham came out. So yeah, I thought that was that was pretty a pretty telling sign though at that point that we were able to get him out at that point. Um, you know, so I mean, I, I think you do have kind of a point there that I don't think Graham gets the the credit that he deserves for how well he's playing. I think mainly because he keeps getting compared to Frank last year. Like if Frank didn't have that phenomenal of a year or there wasn't a player like Trey Young that was a you know a national story of the guy that's burned Kansas and is now a superstar at Oklahoma and was lighting everything up like I think I think Devontae Graham would get a lot more serious consideration uh, you know as a as a potential um, player of the year uh, I mean he has he is playing extremely well and I think unfortunately um, you know with with Trey Young taking up most of the headlines from the Big 12 and then Keenan Evans coming on so strong uh, when Texas Tech was leading um, you know, I, I wonder at this point, though, now that Kansas has officially taken over the lead of the Big 12, if all those people that were previously, you know, saying that the player of the year should be the best player on the best team, um, if a lot of people are going to start paying a little bit more attention now to Kansas players just because now they're leading the conference again. Yeah, and Devontae can definitely help his, his case for what they do in the postseason, uh, obviously. But, I mean, just the uh, – the, the distribution he has. And, and, you know, when you think about Frank, and this is not a knock on Frank whatsoever, but, you know, Frank could draw four guys into the lane and then Devontae was a security blanket for him. I mean, he could kick it out and Devontae's going to make a three or Devontae's going to make a play. 
And Devontae doesn't have that reliable, you know, no offense to LeGerald or Speed, but there's not that, there's not, Devontae doesn't have a Devontae for himself. So, I mean, you know, he's not Frank by any means, but the numbers that he's putting up uh, and the distribution that he's he's got with the guys around him compared to Frank having a guy like Devontae and a guy like Josh Jackson last year uh, really is pretty remarkable. I think I would almost argue, though, that he does have that guy. I mean, Svee has had his down games, but the beginning of the year, Vic was kind of that guy for him, and now Newman has come on pretty strong. So it hasn't been the one guy the entire time, but we've had quite a few guys that are getting hot from from long range. Uh, The main difference, I think, is that Devontae does not drive as often as Frank does. And so a lot of times, you know, when he's creating offense, it's about passing around the perimeter or, you know, finding the, the, the quick, unexpected pass down low to Lightfoot or to Azubuke, it's not the same sort of, um, you know, it's it's not so much him creating it by himself, by driving in and then pulling a bunch of people and then kicking out. It's, it's him passing around in the offense, finding the right read and making the right phenomenal pass at the last second to get it. So I, I, I think it's really more about the style of play and the way that he plays and the way that this team plays. It's less about him being flashy and, you know, he's not going to get the kind of recognition for the way that he contributes to the offense just because he's not driving in on his, on his own. He's not creating his own offense a lot of times like, like Frank did. Yeah, that's definitely fair. Um, And yeah, I mean, just, you know, that Kansas fans count yourself extremely uh, lucky that you got three years of, of Frank, including last year. And now you've got, uh, Devontae, and I think Devontae is going to be one of those guys where next year when he's gone, uh, it's going to be like one of those, oh, wow, we, we definitely miss him kind of moments. Hopefully not. I mean, we got guys like Charlie Moore, and we got a bunch of guys that are coming in. Um, I mean, I, I think we'll miss some of the things that he can do, but I think we're going to have enough talent to, to kind of do it in a different way that, yeah, we'll miss him until these guys really gel, but with how much talent we have on that team and you know, the guys that we've kind of already seen, uh, I, don't, I don't know that we'll necessarily miss Devontae Graham too much because there's nothing else there. It'll be kind of a, wow, this is completely different. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't know if we'll miss it just because that team is going to be so stacked compared to this one. But it will definitely be an adjustment, especially early in the season, while we're getting used to the style that this new team is going to play with all the talents they have. All right, any, any other thoughts, guys, about the Oklahoma game, or are we ready to move on? No, I, I think we can move on. Um, just a just a quick uh, maybe teaser here. Um, hopefully, uh, if I ever get off my lazy butt, gonna have something. I'm I'm hoping to plan it around senior night. But uh, basically, saying how Devonte Graham is is probably the most underrated player at this point of the uh, Bill Self era. So just uh, just a little teaser and get your get your counter arguments ready for the Twitter mentions, which I'm sure are going to be insane. <laughs> you know, though, I, I don't know that I can necessarily argue with that because most of the other guys that – Yeah, you know, I, I, you're right. I should, probably, I should probably phrase it a little bit more controversially because I think you can, you know, you can probably twist underrated into, into anything you want because um, I've, you know, I've long said that it's Cole Aldrich when I think, you know, most people would – admit that he was really good. I just don't think people get, you know, how good he was. So I'll, I'll have to think of a little bit more uh, right, right. Skip bayless type uh, headline. There we go. Channeling your inner Skip Bayless. That's something the world needs more of, right? 
No, no, not at all, but that's all right. <laughs> we'll find a way to make it work. <laughs> all right. So, obviously, big news. I kind of teased it earlier. Um, Texas Tech went down to, to Oklahoma State tonight um, and lost. Uh, Keenan Evans tried to play in the game, was completely ineffective. You could tell he was still being nagged by the injury that he had. He didn't end up playing at all in the second half, I don't believe. Um, so, that puts Kansas in first place now in the Big 12. You know, just how we all thought it was going to go, right? I mean, we all we all thought Kansas, that Tech 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 was going to lose right before they had to face Kansas, right? <laughs> but yeah, yeah, oh, yeah imagine being so bad that you uh, lose to Oklahoma State. Oh, wait a minute. Right, exactly. You know, hey, at least they didn't lose to Oklahoma State at home like we did. So <laughs> yeah, that's true. Oh boy. All right. So yeah. So. I mean, we're back in this position that we always seem to find ourselves in where we get a a really important result to go for us, like right at the end of, of the conference play. But I don't know that this is out of out of character at all for this entire Big 12 season. I mean, Kansas has lost a bunch of inexplicable games, a lot of them at home that, you know, we can't really understand why everyone else is having tough games on the road. I mean, Iowa State, you know, has beaten a lot of people at home. Oklahoma State has beaten a lot of people when they probably shouldn't have. This has been a very, very competitive league this year. Um, so all of that to kind of set up and say, um, you know, the the big game that we have coming up this weekend, College Game Day is coming to town down in Lubbock, Kansas versus Texas Tech. There was a there was an, a comment made earlier today that if Kansas goes down and wins against Texas Tech, that they will essentially clinch a share. Um, that is now officially true since – that would put Kansas up two with two to go. Um, but what are you guys expecting from this game on Saturday? Um, I mean, obviously we kind of have to, I think, caveat that with, you know, whether we think Keenan Evans is going to be able to play and, and be at, at any kind of effective, you know, full strength at all. But um, Kyle, we'll go ahead and start with you. What are you expecting to see on Saturday in that game? Yeah. I mean, you know, Keenan Evans is obviously going to be a big factor of Texas Tech's offense. I think uh, there's still a lot of it's going to be interesting to see how, I mean, this is going to be a good test for for Kansas, keeping guys off the glass. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see if the if maybe the Oklahoma game and Oklahoma's terrible Matador defense kind of gave some of these guys confidence just to see the ball go in, into the net. The guys like LeGerald and um, – you know, Malik, who who maybe they're just riding with some extra confidence now after just shooting lights out against Oklahoma. But Texas Tech, I'm sure it's going to be a crazy atmosphere. You know that they're going to play strong defense. You know that they're going to they're going to kind of gut one out. That I don't see this being a big margin of victory either way. Um, and the only way it kind of gets semi out of hand is if Keenan Evans is just uh, is just completely ineffective. But it will be interesting, especially since, you know, Texas Tech has to play this game and then immediately turn around and go to West Virginia. So this was a pretty big loss for them in terms of trying to still have hopes for the title because this stretch is, is about as difficult as you can ask for. And then they end the end the year at home against TCU, which is not the same team it was once Jalen Fisher went out, but that's still not a walk in the park by any means. Yeah, definitely not. Fetch? Yeah, so I, I pretty much have to throw out anything that I kind of planned on saying um, now that Tech lost. I, I plan on, you know, kind of reiterating what I had said about how every year there's that one, you know, Big 12 Challenge game. And, and this year there's been more than one, obviously. But 
just seems like Kansas always comes out and, and plays well and wins those games. And uh, now it's not really much of a challenge game anymore. I think that Kansas is probably like 80 something percent to at least take a share. Even if Texas tech uh, beats Kansas on Saturday, they still have to go to West Virginia and win, uh, which is no walk in the park, obviously. And uh, West Virginia is a, a pretty tough matchup for them, I think. Um, but if you look back at the first game, uh, Kansas, I mean, I don't know if saying they should have won is, is accurate, uh, just because Texas Tech did play pretty well, but certainly could have won. Um, you look at it, and, and it's one of those things where there's, I guess, good and bad on, on both sides. But uh, Devontae Graham, again, another game against one of the best uh, you know point guards in the league, and Devontae Graham just dominated uh, Keenan Evans, who was 4 of 12, uh, from two and, and only had three assists and, and two turnovers. And uh, Kansas actually did a, a pretty good job offensively when you think about it, 65% on twos against the best defense in the league and, and did get themselves a, their fair share of open threes, just basically missed every single one of them. And so even with like an average uh, shooting effort, uh, they probably would have won that game. Um, obviously the, the downside on that obviously is, Hey, Keenan Evans had this horrible game, and, and Texas Tech still won. So certainly they can do that again, and and definitely they can. I mean, they're going to be coming in and, and needing a win to keep their hopes of a, a Big 12 title alive. So they're certainly going to bring it, and it's going to be up to Kansas too. But uh, I just think that this is a, a pretty good matchup for Kansas, to be honest with you. I think they can do some things offensively that, because of their spacing and stuff, makes Texas Tech a, a little bit uncomfortable and. Defensively, Texas Tech, or our, I guess defensively for, for Kansas, uh, they kind of benefit from Texas Tech taking quite a few of these like mid-range uh, jumpers, which uh, obviously are, are pretty low efficiency. And, and usually when teams play Kansas, it is a little bit more of a parade to the rim type deal. So I think they match up with, with Texas Tech pretty well. And, and I think given the way that they're playing and if – uh, Keenan Evans is at all hobbled. I think that you have to assume at this point that Kansas is going to take it down and, and clinch a share of 14 in a row. Yeah, I mean, and you know, you're talking about how, uh, well, how Texas or Keenan Evans didn't play well in that first game, but that was also well, Gerald Vick completely fell off a cliff, and Newman hadn't really heated up yet. I mean, Kansas played a horrible game that game, um, and still, I mean. I don't think they were ever actually in it, but it never got to the point where they were, you know, down by a ton with absolutely no hope. It was always, it was like the, you know, the, the 10 to 12 point range and they could just never seem to get over that hump to get it down under seven. Um, so once Texas tech jumped out to that early lead, they just weren't able to pull it, to reel it back in. Um, but you know, Kansas, Kansas had enough problems with guys not performing. I, I have a hard time imagining that we're going to have, that many guys just completely fall down and not be able to play very well. Um, again, though, we've, we've said that before and, you know, it's happened uh, in the most unlikely places. So I, I guess I can't be completely a hundred percent confident about that, but not having Keenan Evans, if that's really what happens, I don't think anybody would be arguing that Texas Tech is going to win without Evans. And if Evans does, you know, is, is able to go, um, yeah, he's probably going to have a better game, but that's no guarantee coming off of an injury like that. And I can guarantee you that Kansas players are going to have better games other than maybe Devontae Graham. Devontae Graham, in a losing effort, was the MVP of that game, according to Ken Palm. So, um, you know, he had a phenomenal game there, but he was really the only guy that was playing well. Uh, so, 
you know, I'm I'm fully fully expecting this to be a very competitive game. Looking at it as well, you know, um, for the first time now, Ken Palm is actually showing Kansas uh, projected to now win the conference outright. Um, they have Kansas projected at 13 and five, and they have Texas Tech now projected at 12 and six after tonight's loss for Texas Tech. So, um, and, and of course that's because they have KU losing against Texas Tech, but winning their last two games. Texas Tech is expected to win against Kansas at 63% is what it's showing. Um, but they're definitely, but they're then expected to lose at West Virginia. So, um, either way, you know, the expectation at this point is that Kansas is going to win the big 12 again, um, barring a bunch of crazy upsets, uh, which, you know, given the way that the league has gone this year, that's not out of the realm of possibility. So, all right. So, yeah, some, somehow they're, they're both going to lose their final three games. <laughs> all three of them, right? Well, that would actually be – so there would have to be some history in the making with that too, right? Because I know, like we pointed out in the predictions, uh, and then actually KSports.com went more in-depth, but Bill Self has never been swept in the regular season by a team in his 15 years at Kansas. So actually, uh, KSports broke it down. He's played in 100 series uh, against Big 12, that's including former Big 12 teams never been swept and two of the final games are against teams that have already beaten Kansas. So that would require history to be made uh, a couple times for Kansas to drop it. And not that, you know, obviously what Bill self team in 2010 has nothing to do on this team, but I think it is just a, a testament to how well that he gets his teams to adjust. So if you get, you know, if you get one, early against the Jayhawks in conference play and you sneak one out, there's a good chance that Bill Self's going to come prepared and have a game plan to stop whatever you did well the first time and make sure it doesn't happen again. Yeah. The other, you know, the other thing that jumps out to me at this point is that Kansas, um, you know, they have the second ranked uh, offense in the, in the, in the conference and the fifth ranked defense, but we have seen them very effective with their defense in recent games. Um, whereas Tech has not really been able to pick up their offensive efficiency very well. Um, They're still far and away the best defensive team in the Big 12. But, you know, Kansas isn't, isn't really that far behind, and they're a really good offensive team. Um, it's going to be hard to hold this team down and stop them from performing offensively like they did in the first in the first game. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be fascinating all around. And, yeah, I mean, in order for Kansas to not win at least a share of the Big 12 at this point, they are going to have to lose at least two of those games, um, which, right, like you were saying, is probably going to mean that we're going to have history made a couple times because Bill Self wants to get swept in a single year by at least one team. So, all right, any, any other final thoughts about what's coming up? Do we want to talk about the Texas game? I know, I mean, it's it's a, another short turnaround. Kansas will be on Big Monday for the second consecutive week um, hosting again, which is actually kind of surprising. That will be senior night, so it'll be Devontae Graham, um, and then Svee's senior night as well. Um, so any any thoughts about that game in particular? We, we won't have another podcast before then. So if, if there's anything specific you guys wanted to mention, go ahead and, and uh, throw that out there for us. Yeah, I mean, so Texas still has two games to play before that one, uh, shockingly. But uh, yeah, they're kind of uh, obviously with, with what's going on with Andrew Jones, I mean, they've got a little bit more important stuff to focus on than – than just basketball, but I think they've been, um, you know, a little bit more competitive than I thought they would be even. I mean, they're getting outscored in conference, so it's not like they're good. But I really thought that once uh, Andrew Jones uh, 
left, they were just going to, you know, crater. And, I mean, they've, you know, they've been okay. They took Texas Tech to overtime and, and only lost by three to K-State and, and took Baylor to, to double overtime. Baylor's obviously not great either. But, you know, they're they're not getting uh, murdered in these games that they're losing. I mean, obviously the West Virginia game was pretty bad. But other than that, they're not getting uh, overwhelmed. And so I think you're looking at, depending on who comes back next year, um, you got to figure that probably everyone except for Bamba uh, is coming back. Uh, they probably look like the team this year. Everyone's talking about Iowa State, but I think Texas is actually the team that maybe has a chance to take a, a big leap forward and kind of push into the, the top three of the league next year. So uh, given what Mo Bamba did in, in the first matchup, it's definitely going to be a little bit tougher test than I think KU fans are, are uh, considering. But, um, you know, you don't want to w- uh, lose on senior night, obviously. But uh, if they have... 14 wrapped up on Saturday. I think that, you know, you could probably be forgiven for coming out and maybe giving a little bit of a, a flat performance on, on Monday. So uh, if you're a gambler, I, I would probably lean towards uh, putting a little scratch on Texas to maybe cover on Monday. I was going to say cover, maybe uh win. Yeah. I don't, I don't think so. I mean, I'm trying to think the last time that they lost on senior night, um, not to mention while they may have wrapped up at least a share, um, that will be the opportunity for them to kind of go all out and win the conference outright. So, um, I don't think they really let up at that point, but, you know, given the way that this team has been playing, I, I mean, I wouldn't be necessarily surprised about anything. So, um, Kyle, any, any, any thoughts about that game? Yeah. I mean, you know, Texas right now, as we speak is, tied 25-25 with K-State at halftime. Right. And so I, th- I think that's kind of – I mean, that sums it up is about the Texas offense is just you don't really know what you're going to get. I mean, they've got the, the seventh-ranked offense, offense in the country. And, you know, especially on the road, it's, it's how well do you think that they're going to be able to shoot. Um, and so you've got to think that, you know, if KU has just a marginally strong shooting night, especially from three, uh, and you would hope – and you would think that, you know, Sophie and Devontae would, would want to go out or, you know, would go on a high note, then um, I'm just not sure Texas' offense at this point without Andrew Jones is kind of at a place where they're going to necessarily uh, roll through Allen Fieldhouse. Uh, and then I would be remiss if I didn't say this goes for Texas Tech, too, that, you know, uh, Kansas now has, you know, the Sylvia D'Souza just tearing up teams, and, and he didn't play against Tech uh, or Texas the first time. So, you know, watch out. Uh, Red Raiders and Longhorn fans because, uh, you know, he's he's going to keep dropping 10 and 6 on you. Yeah, very, very true. Um, yeah, so I was looking back uh, in the in the Ken Palm era, Kansas has not lost a, on a senior night. So I'm still trying to figure out when the last time they lost on senior night was. Um, so, yeah, I don't think it's very likely that they will lose this game just given the way that, that history has kind of gone. So, um Gosh, I thought I found it, but nope, still haven't found it yet. So the only other thing um, that I'm kind of anticipating, you know, we've seen throughout the league since Andrew Jones was diagnosed with uh, cancer there, um, a bunch of different tributes. Uh, when when Texas came to visit Oklahoma, you know, everybody came out with, with uh, Andrew Jones warm-up shirts on. I think I'm kind of interested to say or to, to see what they're going to do. I don't think it's very likely that they won't do something. Um, since so many other teams in the Big 12 have done something. Um, you know, I don't know if they're going to really publicize it too much. Uh, so if if anyone's going to be at the game, maybe we'll have to have someone kind of tell us what happens. Because I, I get the feeling that they're going to do something. It's just a matter of what it is. So, 
All right. Any other any other final thoughts, guys, about the, those those games coming up? I did I did a quick Google, and I think that '83 was the last loss uh, on Senior Night. Yeah, I'm going I'm going through right now. I'll, I'll let you know when I get there if there's another one before okay. that. So. I'm just, okay. I'm I'm literally I'm going through every season, and we can keep talking while I'm doing it. So. Um, oh, I'm, riveting. I'm, I'm all the way back to '93, so I'll I'll, okay. I'll get there soon enough. Sure. So so yeah, but if if well, that's yeah, true, that's uh, crazy. March March second, 1983, at home they lost 60 to 58 to Nebraska. All right. Yep. So at Nebraska, there back in '90 in '90. <laughs> this is awesome. <laughs> that that's but the I think the the crazy thing about that is if that's really when it is. You know, that means I have not been I was not alive the last time that they lost at home on a senior night. Which yeah. is a crazy uh, uh, a crazy thing to think about. On that team, both uh current uh Colorado head coach Tad Boyle and uh father of Xavier and CJ Henry, Carl Henry. <laughs> that is that is awesome. <laughs> they were four and ten in Big Twelve play. Not the greatest of showings. Is that Larry Brown's first year, eighty three? Uh, I think it was Ted Owens' last year. Oh, uh, was it? Yep, it was. All right. Yep. So I'm not a uh, yeah, not a not a great year. Good thing uh, Larry came in and. One totally and completely ethically without breaking any rules at all. <laughs> oh boy! Oh, yeah, Mark Mark Turgeon's on that team too. So I mean, better better coaches than basketball players. Yeah, there you go. Oh, that's funny. So Wikipedia only goes back to the 1985-86 season. So I do not know if one of those two seasons after they they lost, but it doesn't seem like it. So yeah, I would. I, I'm fairly comfortable saying that 1983 is probably the last time that they lost on senior night at home. So, which is again, that's absolutely crazy to think about. So, all right. Um, any other any other final thoughts about the uh, the upcoming slate? No. All right. So I, I'll kind of finish up with one final thought. You know, we've talked about how well Devontae Graham has been playing recently. Um, you know, all all the hype has been about Trey Young and now Keenan Evans. Um, coming on recently. Do you guys think that there's any chance that Devontae Graham gets serious consideration for either Big 12 Player of the Year or gets talked about at all in the Wooden Award uh, race there? Um, Probably not. I mean, I just think Trey Young has been too good. Um, I mean, Devontae Graham has been great, obviously. Keenan Evans has been great, obviously. Um, But... you know, maybe if, you know, there's there's some, uh, I guess, precedence where uh, 2014, uh, Andrew Wiggins probably deserved Big 12 Player of the Year, and, and Joel Embiid, honestly, even though he didn't play a couple of games, probably deserved Big 12 Player of the Year over either of them. But Iowa State's uh, Melvin Edgem got Big 12 Player of the Year, probably mostly because he was a senior and, and all that and, and had some pace-inflated uh, rebounding stats, but... Uh, so there's there's certainly some precedence for it, but I just think they're going to look at those per game numbers for Trey Young and you know maybe the fact that he's a, a bit of a turnover machine, although that's more of like a raw number thing than a percentage thing, and uh, the fact that Oklahoma has not been very good, um, you know maybe takes him 
uh, a step back, but, you know, maybe they decide to give it to Keenan Evans, who has been uh, just as good as Devontae Graham. And, uh, you know, it, it, it really is um, kind of a kind of a toss-up. But, no, I mean, I, I think Trey Young is going to get it, and I, I don't really think Devontae Graham is going to get uh, All-American, uh, first-team All-American anyway. He might be a second-teamer, but I don't think he's going to be a first-teamer. Yeah, second team seems to be uh, doable for him. And I do think, you know, it's interesting because when you look at the actual, just the straight numbers, I mean, especially with the, in terms of the conference, obviously Trio has got got him beat. But, uh, you know, Devontae's assist numbers are just so much better than anyone like Keenan Evans. You know, Keenan Evans is averaging 18 points, but he's only averaging three assists and, and three rebounds. And so Devontae's, got him there, but obviously Keenan Evans is a more important part of the offense. But, yeah, it'll be interesting because if Oklahoma continues to lose, I mean, their last three games are home against Kansas State, at Baylor, home against Iowa State. You drop two of those three, and it's just free-falling, and Trey Young continues to score, you know, somewhere in the 15-point uh, range, but he's not getting 30 anymore. It'll be interesting to see what they do with it because if he – and especially if now, I think with Keenan Evans at toe, if that affects his last couple of games, then Devontae could sneak in there for a Big 12 Player of the Year. But I think probably second team All-American is a is a goal that if he finishes out strong could could be achieved. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him on like the the first team, like all all defensive team. But I do think it would be kind of a stretch at this point, unless he just absolutely goes insane in these last three, you know I mean? If he scores, you know, 30, 40 points in the last three games or averages like 30 points in the last three games, I think he can make a big push, um, especially if Kansas, you know, wins them all to win the like the league title outright with how much everyone's been talking about that. But I mean, it's going to take something completely insane. I think for him to really get into that discussion. I just, you know, I've heard a lot of people talking about that was how they were justifying, you know, Keenan Evans over Trey young for the big, for the big 12 player of the year was the best player on the best team. Now that Kansas is, once again, probably the the best team in the conference. Um, you know, I, I I think he might get a little bit of notice, and 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 maybe the better question is, you know, who would you have as Big Twelve Player of the Year at this point? Because I think Trey Young has fallen off a cliff far enough that you know, I don't think it's a given anymore that he's going to be the Big Twelve Player of the Year. I think Keenan Evans has a really good case, and if you know if Devontae can keep this up, he's going to have a good case at the end of the year too. So. All right, any other final thoughts on that, guys, before we uh, get out of here for the night? Uh, nope. I think we covered it. All right, sounds good. So, so, so Fetch, it's our last show before the end of the Olympics. So I think we're in line now for just one more Olympic minute. You got something for us? Sure. So we'll, we'll go with a, a quick trifecta here, which is going to be probably pretty dumb because two of the things you're going to know the result by the time this freaking airs, but whatever. <laughs> right. Uh, in in about an hour, the uh, U.S. Hockey, women's right? ho- hockey yep. team takes on uh, their arch-rival Canada uh, for the gold medal. Uh, U.S. won the first ever women's hockey gold medal in 1998. Canada has won every one since, although the U.S. has certainly had their numbers, uh, had their number at the world championships. I don't think they've lost a world championship to Canada uh, since the last Olympics. So, this would be kind of a, a culmination for a lot of uh, pretty good players' careers. Um, they lost the first meeting uh, against Canada, of course, since they can't beat them at the Olympics. But I think they're going to get them tonight. Uh, we can edit this out if that doesn't happen. Uh, men's hurling <laughs> uh, is in the semifinals uh, of the Olympics, so they just need one win to medal. It would be their second ever 
curling medal. Uh, they finished 10th in Vancouver and 9th in Sochi with basically the same lineup. So uh, definitely a, a big improvement for them. They also play Canada, who they just beat a couple of days ago on the round robin. And then finally, we'll finish off on a, a, a known result. Uh, U.S. Women's Sprint Relay cross-country team uh, captured gold today. Uh, first ever female cross-country medal for the U.S. and first ever gold medal uh, either gender. So pretty big day for uh, U.S. cross-country skiing. That's that's insane. Considering you know b- before the Olympics, we were talking about how Norway was probably going to win all of them. So. <laughs> yeah, and they've, I, I mean, they've, they've basically done that, yeah. Right, but the fact that, you know, the USA was able to pull at least one of them off, that was, that right. was a big upset, so. All right, um, all right, well, I guess that's it for us. We'll go ahead and leave it there. Um, thank, thank you guys for joining me. Uh, as usual, for you for you listeners, uh, make, make sure that you subscribe, rate us, uh, preferably five stars. And, uh, you know, t- tell everyone you know about the podcast. Get as many people as we can. Um, actually, CDOT just, just uh, tweeted with, with talking about the uh, the craziness in the Big 12 and with this KU team. He just tweeted about our episode that we had last week with him. So, um, so yeah, we're, the, the word is obviously getting out there, and we do have quite a few people listening. It seems like we have a few more people listening every week. So um, what you guys are doing is obviously working. You can catch us on Twitter, at Rock Chalk Talk. Um, you, you can send us an email to rctsbn at gmail.com that's Nation at gmail.com all, all abbreviated there so um, again uh, you know, find us, rate us, follow us, subscribe all that fun stuff we will be back next week with another episode hopefully we will be celebrating the clinching of an outright Big 12 title and we can talk about you know, how much time we're going to rest Devontae Graham in that, in that season ender and we can argue about you know whether we want to lose in the first round of the Big 12 tournament all right, we we are getting out of here now, but thank you guys for listening again, and we will catch you next time on the Rock Chop Talk podcast. Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry. Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.